1: Hey there and welcome to The Syrupcast. You're listening to episode 143. We're recording this week's episode on Thursday, October 19th. The Syrupcast is a podcast devoted to fostering intelligent and sometimes funny discussion related to Canadian tech and telecom ecosystems. I'm your host, newly minted Switch owner Igor Bonifacic. This week I'm joined by mobile syrup and elder statesman of the Switch community, Patrick O'Rourke. Patrick, I want to put that in my Twitter bio. That's pretty good. Elder statesman of the Canadian Switch community. You are free to take it, sir. We also have... Rose, what if international recording superstar Diplo were a woman, Bahar?
0: <laughs> oh, that's my favorite introduction to to date. That's amazing. Okay,
1: okay. it's only going to get better. Her, her ponytail <laughs> is nicer than Diplo's. This is true.
0: Oh, Lastly, good.
1: we have Samir Chabra, who... Was I don't know if he was going to come on the podcast or he wasn't, so I didn't prepare like an elaborate introduction for him. Samir, how are you?
2: I'm, I'm quite well, and I'm glad that I was able to make it in time for the podcast to not be introduced properly. Thank you, Igor.
1: Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> if you hear a dog barking, that's new executive assistant to Mobile Syrup and BetaKit pro- uh, podcast producer extraordinaire Robin Edgar. That is Hewitt. Hewitt, how are you? Bork, bork. You're gonna to have to take me for my word. That was Hewitt, not myself. Um, we have a jam-packed episode planned today. We're gonna to start with our Pixel Tube review, which Patrick and Rose wrote a beautiful wrote beautifully. Um, do you guys want to kind of give us a synopsis of your thoughts? Do you have any takes on the not takes? We're gonna on the uh, uh, display gate. We'll call it. <laughs> I'm naming it first: Pixel Display Gate. <laughs>
0: Um so I I reviewed the Pixel 2. Patrick reviewed the Pixel 2 XL and I think we we sort of melded that review together, uh both of our voices, so it ended up being pretty comprehensive and pretty long. Um, Four thousand words or something. <laughs> yeah. so that we, we got down to yeah. well you got to, down to twenty five hundred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I uh, I I had a really good experience with the Pixel two. I would say my main actual issue on a day-to-day user perspective was more battery life than display um but i did note that the display was significantly worse than pretty much any any other display that you're going to see on a Mm high-end smartphone on a premium handset um and i know google has now responded saying but the reason that it looks the way it does is because uh, they sort of opted for more um, accurate colors rather than vivid saturation. I know you just wrote about that, Samir, didn't you?
2: I did, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: So that was uh, that was there. And then they're saying they're going to do some updates and they're going to make it look a little bit better. But that wasn't the only uh, issues that people were having. They were having an issue with seeing um, kind of a, a color distortion, I, I might say, when you like looked at it from a certain angle and... And it's just very dim. It's not very beautiful. Um, but to me, that's not a huge, that's not a deal breaker. I will absolutely go for the Pixel for its UI and for its camera every day of the week. And I, I don't really mind that much about display. Pat, was. what were your thoughts on the display?
3: I, I didn't think it was that bad. Um, I mean, if I put it beside the iPhone 8 or the Samsung Galaxy S8 or Note 8, it didn't like kind of stand up to par. Right. And I, I guess we should note that like yes. Samsung makes the displays for the iPhone. Yeah. Um, and
0: also we should note that, of course, there are two different displays for the Pixel 2 and the yes, Pixel 2, 2 XL. Different um, the Pixel 2 display is also not great, though what people have been focusing on is mostly the Pixel 2 XL.
3: Yeah. I, I So the XL's display, I, I didn't really look at the Pixel 2's that much because that was your sort of your mm-hmm. portion of the review. I thought it looked fine. I didn't think there's anything particularly wrong with it. I thought it looked better than last year's um and it looked better than most phones i've seen but it certainly wasn't as good as like the highest end of the high-end devices right so i mean people picking it up will have to make somewhat of a concession in, in terms of the display like they the phone's great like it's awesome it, it's yeah. probably my favorite android phone that i've ever used um but the display is probably it's it's it, it's one uh i guess fault for for me it, it, and e- even with that said like It wasn't that bad. It was fine. Like, I'm totally cool with it. It just didn't compare to what Samsung's doing.
1: Yeah, I would say, too, I think the display is more interesting in so far as what it says about Google as where it is in kind of the smartphone ecosystem at this point. Like, it just doesn't have the scale to buy from the biggest manufacturer of OLEDs, which is Samsung, right? And Mm -hmm. LG's displays, I was reading today, are like effectively they're just a generation behind right like they haven't had as they haven't spent as much time and research and money and perfecting the technology as samsung has right and so that's the result it's just not as good of a display
3: and i think the other thing that's worth noting too is like we only notice that it's not that great of a display because we review phones and we look at phone displays all the time right it's, yeah. it's our job here at mobile syrup um whereas like the average person is going to look at that screen and be like wow that looks great they're not gonna think that it's bad in any way mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: totally I, I mean so that's it may be mostly of concern to people who perhaps watch and stream a lot of content on their devices of um, which I, I think there are some but I don't think that's necessarily the majority of the uh, the majority of, of like smartphone users that's their most important um, thing for, for a smartphone I think it's probably camera or it's probably something to do with UI and like Along those lines, what did you find was best about the second generation Pixel? About,
1: about
3: the Pixel? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I really liked the design of it. That that was one of the things that, that caught my eye right away. I liked the sort of curved glass on the sides. Um, I also liked the curved edges of the display, like the actual screen itself. So we've seen that before with the, the G6, the V30. Um, I think even Samsung's devices to an extent as well. Yeah uh so i i thought that was cool i i also um like the panda finish of the phone i was a fan of that i know some people weren't i think that it gave the pixel Two XL a very unique look a very unique aesthetic that we haven't really seen before from smartphones yeah um, i think i
0: was a little bit on the other side yeah, of that you're on
3: the other side there's yeah. a lot of people out there too right that, that weren't a big fan like, of it to me
0: it just looked a little bit too goofy for a phone that you're supposed to be taking seriously
3: you don't like the stormtrooper phone <laughs> um yeah there's a there's a lot of people that didn't like it too uh so it was a somewhat divisive design but i think in terms of marquee features probably uh i mean i really like the camera the camera's great i i don't know how much stock i really put into what DxO Mark says about cameras um for a variety of reasons
0: right yeah do you want to get into that just briefly because i think it's interesting
3: yeah there's a I, i wish i could credit what website i saw it on um I think it was Android Authority. If did. you
1: want like a really great breakdown of this, MKHD has uh, MKHD, yeah, yeah he Marcus ha- Brownlee, yeah, uh, Marcus. He did a really great um, breakdown of it, and essentially, what it is is, so most people think DxO Mark is like a first of all, it's a it's a consulting firm, right? So it yeah. makes some of its money by going to companies like Google and be like, hey, like we'll help you make a better camera. They, if you pay us. And they also <laughs>
3: sell uh software yeah, to totally. uh smartphone manufacturers that to, to help them like rate their cameras and test them yep. and make sure they're tweaked perfectly. So there's like a vested interest in DXO Mark um uh having these manufacturers sell more devices, totally. right? Because it's it's built into their business. I'm not saying that like they're doing anything wrong or they're like fudging the results or stuff like that but I think it's something that a lot right. of people aren't, aren't but
1: narrowed. also the score itself is interesting yes, in the sense that's that true too. so it's an aggregation of multiple scores and yeah. certain aspects of camera performance are weighted more heavily by DxO than other portions so in the instance of a smartphone camera something they don't rate that hard or weigh that uh, uh, heavily excuse me is bokeh right where so if you want like in the example that marcus gave was like if you want the best phone for taking portraits you're going to get the actually the note 8 it has a lower overall score technically than the uh, pixel but it has a much better like zoom factor and uh bokeh score um but compared to the pixel right so also the score isn't out of a hundred which most it's just coincidence that it's the highest, the uh, close. Yeah. Uh, the highest um, uh, sensor, I believe, on DxO Mark has a 106. Right? Okay. It's just because it's a cumulative score. That's how they're scoring, right? right? So um, when people are like, "Oh, 98," it's almost perfect. <laughs> Actually, if you look at the scores, like the individual scores, like there's a lot there that could be improved, mm-hmm. right? Like there's so many parts of a smartphone camera that like are just not up to are just not as good as like an s l r camera right mm. so um it's so there are still like we're gonna see soon like the first smartphone to beat a hundred right the first right. to get to a hundred the first to beat a hundred um there's still a lot to be kind of wrung out of these cameras and but, the, but the,
0: as like as many people are saying it doesn't actually you know that's not objective it's not like some wonderfully new like completely objective thing they're just as kind of um compromised as any other reviewing site it's not somehow like Perfectly like Consumer Reports. Yes,
3: th- that was the point I was trying to make, and that's kind of what I gathered from. I, I I pulled it up here. I didn't I didn't see uh, mm. MKBHD's video, mm-hmm. but what I read was a story on Android Authority by Robert Triggs about it, which I think covered like everything yeah. you said is is what I read in this story. Yeah. Um. And and I guess long story short, I really like the camera in the Pixel mm-hmm. Two XL and the Pixel Two because it's the same camera. Um. I think it's great. I thought that the portrait mode was maybe not quite as good as what uh, Apple's doing, but I'm not. Mm. It, with me not reviewing a phone and just using it in everyday use, I'm not really that interested in the portrait mode. Like I have mm-hmm. a DSLR if I want some crazy depth of field on my shots. Yeah. Um, the the camera itself was was awesome. it It worked great under low light. it it in a- every situation that I, I put it through it, it took probably some of the best photos that I've seen.
1: yeah, and the, on a on a smartphone, not right. Really, ever. The only thing I'll say to you one more thing I'll say about dXO mark, how they actually do rate things is pretty objective in the sense that, like, they have these like preset shots where they have like um, like a graph from worst to best and there's reference shots along it and then they take a shot. Obviously, there's a subjective element there where you're like you're comparing the shots. Right. And like um, but for like noise. Right. Like they'll have the same shot like 10 different times and then they'll be able to like put it on this scale and say like, hey, like in noise, this is where this camera falls, right? So, uh, yeah. but anyway, still, it takes great photos at the end of the day. That's yeah. really all that matters, I think. Um, and I think anyone who gets this smartphone is going to be really happy with the camera.
0: Yeah, it's mostly because of the the high dynamic range uh, capability that it has. It's It's really, really awesome at doing that. It's automatically on when you start using the camera and, uh, basically it just means that it's able to capture these pictures that have really bright spots and really dark spots and sort of give you, um, you know, no, no part of the screen is blown out and you get good color all the way through and good definition all the way through. Um, so that's what I really love about it. It's quick and it's easy. It doesn't have very many like advanced camera features, but that's not what I want. And I think most people just want to be able to snap and you, go.
1: You
3: had some issues with the portrait mode, right? Like when we were the doing portrait comparison mode, yeah. shots.
0: Yeah, we did some comparison shots, and you can see one in our review that shows that um, it, the, it didn't capture uh, quite the area that we were looking for when compared to the uh, Apple iPhone 8's bokeh mode or uh, depth of field mode. And, I mean, it's impressive that it's doing depth of field at that level at all to some extent because it does not have a dual camera setup. It's just one singular camera. Um, with a but dual pixel, it takes lens.
3: two images though at the same time. Is that how it works?
0: So yeah, with that, if what they do is they um, take a, they take two images, one slightly offset from the other, but like I think it's less than a micron or something. So it's really like not much offset, uh, and they take several different photos. And then they use that to sort of gather data to intelligently map what uh, needs to be kept in the forefront and what needs to be blurred in the background. So it's a lot of software work going on to make it work. and, um, And it doesn't always do it very well. But, you know, to me, that's just one feature in an otherwise really good camera. And I think UI was another thing that I loved about the Pixel. Was that that something the same for you, Pat? Yeah,
3: I mean, the the smoothness of the phone, just in terms of how it operates, was a big thing. Um, I primarily use an iPhone. I switch to Android devices all the time, but I mostly use an iPhone. Um, And I think that that's one of the issues that Android has always had. uh, As great as the devices are, sometimes you'll run into bouts of lag, um, if only because the software and the hardware hasn't been designed uh, from the ground up to be cohesive. And I think that that's something that... The original Pixel did very well, um, and that the Pixel two also does very well. It's a totally smooth experience. I didn't run into a single instance of slowdown. Um, I guess we should note that we only use the phones probably for about a week, it was yeah. about, about five days, something yeah. like that. Um, so that that could change, and we're going to do like a six months later, and we'll totally. we'll continue uh, covering it. Uh, but I I don't think I've ever had that smooth an experience with an Android device before. And the I, I know that the Pixel is stock Android, and it's got sort of I don't know what you what do you want to call it like a flavor like this specific google flavor on top of it yeah you Um, get a
0: lot of fun little bonuses with the newest like the menu bottom yeah yeah
3: there you go uh and and I, I liked that little flavor that google's put on top of it I think it in some ways makes android significantly more friendly to someone who comes from an ios world which I think may be part of the pixels goal right people that are frustrated with what apple's doing um, they're not impressed with the latest iphone and they want to try something different i think that the the pixel is the perfect opportunity to sort of jump ship
0: yeah what i see with the the pixel line is that they google's a bit selective with it they choose the features that they think really will be useful and they they don't go over the overboard with a lot of yeah. different you know like the lg lg tends to just throw everything at the wall But with this Pixel 2, there were a few that they really talked about. And for the most part, they really worked well. Like um, Google Lens, for instance, which I keep coming back to because I I really like it. Um, It's built into the Photos app. Once you've taken a photo, you can press this Lens button to kind of get this intelligent analysis of the photo. So you get like a link that you can click that comes from this poster that you took a picture of. It's basically like you know QR codes without the hassle of QR codes. And it really works, even at this stage, it really works. And I think it's just kind of like, it shows in a broader sense, this kind of AI intelligence that they're building into the phone that is really gonna be integral to the the ultimate success of it. And I think it's already paying off in a big way.
1: All right, so if you wanna read more about the Pixel before these two give up their entire review, make sure to head to mobileserp.com. It should be right on the front page. Uh, Samir, you haven't had a chance to so- talk. I'm really sorry for that. Uh, but we did bring you on to talk about, uh, you wrote a great article about why we shouldn't be courting Amazon to come to, uh, to Toronto. And what's interesting is that I what day did that article come out? Did it come out before the Sidewalk Labs? Uh, it did, right? It
2: did, yeah. It came out a few right. days before the Sidewalk Labs. I think it was the day before, actually. Yeah. Pretty so much.
1: it's interesting uh, the context of your article is interesting in so far that clearly we did manage to court someone to come. Do you want to just set the scene for us for that Sidewalk Labs announcement uh, just so we can get started into uh, start a discussion about that?
2: Sure. So a few months ago, and I'm going to be using a few months ago a little bit here. So a few months ago, the federal... Ontario and Toronto governments came together uh, to sort of this like Save the Portlands project uh, in Toronto. And the idea was that they they were starting to look for people interested in developing uh, Toronto's harbor front, the waterfront area. Uh, they were interested in people uh, establishing some sort of uh, innovation or tech district. Hmm. And when, when that announcement came out a few months later, uh, there was these rumours that Google, Sidewalk Labs specifically, which I should mention, Sidewalk Labs, um, is a subsidiary of Alphabet. Alphabet, of course, is the parent company that is the uh, the owner of Google and and Waymo and all these other uh, all these other Google ventures. So you know there were these rumors that Sidewalk Labs was interested in investing in Toronto, and a lot of people, a lot of analysts, thought this was going to be sort of like a long term thing. They weren't really sure if it was going to happen. Um, there was just a lot of talk about money. The word billion was thrown out a bunch, um, and then all of a sudden, uh, two days ago or one day ago, or sorry, two days ago. It turned out that, yes, Sidewalk Labs was, in fact, going to invest in Toronto's waterfront. and They were going to start with a $51 million investment, um, and that's what that's going to be. So that's going to be some sort of innovation district. Uh, they're going to be building this neighborhood called Keyside to start with. But before any of this starts, before any development... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Before any real investment is put into the waterfront, they're going to be doing this this, this town hall event on November 1st, 2017, where members of the Toronto community can come over and talk about what they think should be done in that area. And this is specifically
1: this is where the Red Redpath uh, Sugar Factory used to be, right? Is a-
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna have to apologize. I'm sorry, guys. I don't know the Toronto waterfront very well. Okay. So, okay. but the, it,
1: this used to be an industrial part of Toronto. Um, it's obviously since kind of fallen to the wayside, right? Like, you know, yeah. The, and yeah. the
2: idea is that they're gonna come over and revitalize it, uh, set up an innovation hub, um, and again, this whole Keyside neighborhood idea is also hopefully gonna help with some some housing as well. Mm-hmm takes because
1: uh, li- i'm really interested to hear what you guys think about this uh i'm not a fan personally but you know um i've seen some kind of interesting like people like kind of false dichotomies on twitter you know not that you should go onto twitter expecting very nuanced kind of takes on anything but you know people are like oh like you know building these future cities isn't going to help with uh the affordability issues right now and i'm like I mean in what world was that ever going to be devoted to affordable housing right like um but at the same time like i can see how you know in other cities where google has gone into they think just by the very fact of them being there opening up shop that has raised the cost of uh of the cost of living there the cost of uh housing there so but from what i understand with this one they haven't committed to building anything So
2: it's not that they haven't committed to building anything because they have committed to building this, this key side neighborhood. But I think what's interesting about the sidewalk labs investment in comparison Mm. to the potential Amazon second headquarters, which I'm sure we'll get to a little bit later on. The difference between those two is that whereas with Amazon, uh, uh, you know, the company said, we want you guys to pitch to us. We want you guys to. We want cities around North America to explain why it would be good for Amazon to go there. Mm-hmm. The, the Sidewalk Labs, uh, Toronto Waterfront thing, is more like Sidewalk Labs and Google saying, listen, there's a lot of talent in Toronto, there's a lot of talent in Canada, and I think it would make a lot of sense for us to work together to build up your city. Because building up your city is going to help us build up our infrastructure. There's right. sort of this, this, this mutual agreement where Google and... Sorry Alphabet and Sidewalk Labs are going to try to find a way to benefit the urban development of Toronto and likewise Toronto is going to contribute a little bit to Sidewalk Labs and Google.
1: Right. I think I think that the talent aspect of it is the most important of it and to kind of tie it to the what you wrote about um Amazon it really is at the end of the day it's not about Google like having some altruistic want to improve or excuse me Alphabet and Sidewalk Labs some altruistic want to improve Toronto and this part of Toronto, it's having access to cheap talent, right? Like it's also why we're seeing this like huge drive towards um, coding education. You can read it, this amazing article in the guardian, which kind of lays it out, but essentially it is about reducing costs, right? So the cost of like uh, engineering talent, software development talent in Toronto and specifically Southwestern Ontario is much less than it is in Silicon Valley, right? So, I think we have to like view this through that critical lens which is what is it what's in it for Google Alphabet and everyone else associated with those two companies um which is the two, two points that I think that um uh Anthony Lacavera or Tony Lacavera as we like to call him here <laughs> uh Tony um, we know him like that We know him like that yes you should check out his new book what is it called Rose
0: um I can't remember. Samir? Yeah.
1: I believe it's called How We Can Win. There yes. we go. How We Can Win. Yes. And I, at the point Tony makes... Oh, I can give I'm, you the whole title. Of the yes, book. please do. How We Can Win and What Happens to Us and Our Country if We Don't. But Tony spoke to those points. Do you want to lay out some of those?
2: So, yes. From Tony's perspective, from Anthony's perspective, the issue is really a matter of, like you said, what what exactly is Amazon going to get out of Toronto? And Amazon's going to get that talent So Anthony's, I'm I'm sorry, I keep on saying Anthony, it sounds weird. I'm gonna go back to Tony. So Tony's main point is that we're going to lose a lot of Canadian talent. But more importantly, we're going to lose a lot of potential Canadian innovation, and Mm -hmm. a lot of Canadian startups. So these companies that could have potentially become the new Google that could have potentially become the new Amazon, because now they're effectively going to go to Amazon and Google. Uh, So for him, it's it's a matter of, once again, he describes it as Canada's bronze medal problem, where we're more than comfortable with letting the U.S. take the gold, take the silver, as long as we're taking the bronze in that we're sort of getting that like little asterisk that says canadian development hmm. jeffrey hinton's work on artificial intelligence has come up uh, all across the board um eric schmidt when he was speaking at the sidewalk labs uh, media conference a few days ago even you know singled out jeffrey hinton saying thank you so much you know it's thanks to you that google's ai driven research has been able to progress so much so thank you so much canada and thank you so much jeffrey hinton so it's that kind of thing where tony Lacavera wants canada to build its own google
1: hmm. right and i think that's you know uh patrick has experience in this in the sense that like in covering the video games industry right like canada by um just the amount it develops uh or the many amount of games that are created is third next to the u.s and japan right but there is no really like it's because of tax credits in montreal right right that's
3: a big incentive for like ubisoft to set up shop and EA is, and everyone
1: yeah but not like they're not canadian right like no, no none of not it canadian. The, like this is what like I think is so aggravating in Canada is that like none of the money gets put towards creating like Canadian entities will do this to scale up um, and create something like uniquely Canadian it's always to bring in these like bigger like multinational corporations who then take the money out and you know redistribute it back to the US right like um, that that's what struck me about this announcement yeah. was like it, it's just it's just a repetition of the same pattern we've seen so many times before. Um, that, it,
3: that's totally what it is. And then in the back of my head, there's like this little voice that is like, but it'll still be pretty cool, especially it, totally, from like a yeah. professional perspective for what we do all the time, right? Like yeah. having this, uh, I don't know, you want like a Google facility nearby where they're actually making cool experimental different mm-hmm. things will be really, really neat. But everything else you guys said is obviously very accurate.
0: Yeah. yeah. And to speak to the other side, I mean, isn't it beneficial at least to just have the talent here coming in from all of these uh, larger ventures like that and to have, you know, because how are we supposed to grow our own big, big projects unless we have big players in our cities and unless we have the world-class talent that those big players bring.
1: But we do have the world-class talent, right? But it's
0: not developed. I mean, you, you need those big players to develop people. I do think that's true. Like, like, you can have great potential computer scientists and engineers, but if they don't have people that are honing their skills at the level of a Google.
1: But how did so? How did you know? Like, how did Microsoft, Apple, and Oracle and all those companies start without what was there before? Right? Like, it didn't. I yeah.
0: think yeah, but I think actually they there all started out of out of uh, pretty prestigious American institutions for the most part.
1: But we have those here. If I could interject just for
2: a moment between you two. So my mother and I have been talking a lot about this since I started Mm -hmm. covering this beat. And I think the one question that we keep on asking ourselves is, yes, why is it that America was home to Microsoft and Apple and Oracle and all these big companies, whereas Canada wasn't? And we keep on asking ourselves, is it just that Canadians are not as industrious? Are they just less innovative? Of course the answer is no. It's definitely mm-hmm. not that. That's absurd. It's absurd to think that any one particular culture, any one particular country is more industrious or more innovative than than any other. The truth is and again, Mom, I'm really sorry. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what precisely enabled America to to, mm. to, to build Microsoft, to build Google. I don't know why precisely Canada has been unable to do that. But I think it, it's equally unfair to say that something like the University of Waterloo isn't able to compete It is in terms of quality of education with something like MIT or Stanford. No, and, it's
1: exactly at that level of those institutions. Well, I mean, okay, yeah. maybe
2: not exactly at that but level because like, it's the overall uh, funding well, that those uh, those institutions uh, get. But okay. yeah, like they, they can produce that level of talent Balance, certainly, mm-hmm. for at much less
3: like, but in yeah. in the eyes of employers though, are they producing the, the same level of? of oh, talent? I am not going you know mean? to answer that question. No, you know what I mean though. <laughs> like, like maybe they are, but in the eyes of like giant, uh, I, don't, I don't know, tech giants in Silicon Valley, like w- would
1: they hire someone that's from the University of Waterloo or someone from MIT? Totally. You know what I mean? But totally, because it is so much cheaper for them, right? Like, there's a certain point at which, like, okay, yeah, sure. the cost, like the cost of talent in silicon valley is astronomical compared to what it is in southwest ontario right like mm-hmm. but yet like it may be like let's say i think like 10 15% like at most 10 15% better right so like if you're paying twice as much for something that's 10% better like the economics are such of it where this makes sense to invest 50 million in a city that you really don't care about at the end of the day but you want just to access that talent right because at, for every business the most expensive expenditure is talent right is the workforce oh, sure. right yeah. like yeah anyway so yeah. i'm very like passionate about these things cuz it's a lot no, of-
2: and it's not just you and it's not just you at all because again tony lacavera he's not the first person who's spoken out about this and it's something that it's interesting. He he. Uh, one of his quotes was, "It's strange to see all of our uh, our government representatives sort of you know pony themselves out because really Halifax, Vancouver, Edmonton, all of these massive Canadian cities have, have announced that they're interested in this Amazon bid." And one of the things that Tony's pointed out, and it's in the story, is that the likelihood of Jeff Bezos risking the mm-hmm. headlines in the American media and. I say more importantly in quotes, but more importantly, Jeff Bezos risking that tweet from President Trump, attacking him and his company again for for not putting America first first is something that Amazon's going to have to take into consideration. And today, uh, Toronto Global, the consortium that's in charge of the Toronto region bid, they even pointed out a a number of advantages for Amazon coming. And of course, course they pointed out a number of advantages. Um, They said ultimately it's going to come down to a matter of media and it's going to come down to a matter of optics is jeff bezos going to risk the negative optics he's going to receive uh as a result of investing in canada versus investing in the states
1: yeah and um i mean i saw this um amazing uh, it was you know like how much rent in seattle has gone up since uh amazon uh took up shop there and it's something like 15 20 percent i was just right. gonna say
3: that i will never own property in the greater toronto area if amazon opens an office <laughs> well
1: here. you probably won't now because google is coming right like they have to move all those engine they're moving all their engineers but from imagine, Waterloo. imagine google yeah. and, and amazon. amazon it would be they're not tenable.
3: they're not moving point. they're not moving engineers from Waterloo. they're not moving, they're right. engineers they're from moving Waterloo. uh people from the google office that's already here uh-huh uh 50 people is what they told us specifically right <laughs> okay i think was, that's what they said right there's 50 people I,
2: I remember the number 80 but i don't know if uh, that was sidewalk okay. labs or if that's, that was the toronto office. let's say
3: under 100 people okay? yes <laughs> we'll be moved to the to the, the office that's going to be part of the sidewalks uh sidewalk labs stuff okay um but then like they're going to scale up rapidly so we don't know how many how many hires there, there okay. will be but okay. obviously there's going to be a ton and i'm not going to be able to afford my rent anymore
1: on that note <laughs> no one's going to be able to afford their rent in this the darkest timeline but we still have shout outs in the uh, darkest yes, timeline yes, 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 yes. <laughs> rose do you want to get us started I'll you let have pack
0: go ahead. Okay, okay i
3: gotta open up the story so i'm gonna just stall while it opens it's still opening our website's
2: still loading <laughs> so what's everyone
1: doing for the weekend
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh not not nearly any major plans. So what about you, Igor? Any plans for the weekend?
1: Just getting ready for my trip. The next two weeks will be hosted by Rose and Pat. I think they're going to be amazing. I don't know what they have planned, but I hope they're going to bring on many guests. I it's think It's
0: going to be a straight two weeks of Igor tribute. Uh, yeah, okay. okay. I'm just going to
1: talk about the Nintendo Switch for a half hour. I mean, it's your podcast at that point um who am i to stop you speaking of the nintendo
3: switch <laughs> segue working mm. on my segues here yeah um
1: so a, a new
3: a surprise update was released for the console today uh that no one really expected uh because nintendo tends to just drop these things with no warning uh, and it adds two interesting new features to the console one is it allows players to now record short 30 second clips of their gameplay oh. That can then be shared on, I believe, Twitter and Facebook, which is the same place where you could share the photos uh, that the console is able to take since launch, sort of in-game <coughs> screenshots. So that's been added, which is kind of neat. You can sort of, you, Igor, you'll be able to to share awesome, dope clips of you stabbing enemies in Zelda in, in yes. the face.
1: I can't wait. We got to add each other to friends through the convoluted friend system. Friend system, yes, yes, yes.
3: And I'll have to play you in Mario Kart. You
1: also have Splatoon, Brad. Will let you Splatoon, right? Bradley did lend me Splatoon. Cool, not that I'll be able to play it because my Wi-Fi, for whatever reason, it can't connect. I, from I want you to
3: play it over your the when when you're on vacation and you're in the air. I want you to play it over the uh, in-flight Wi-Fi. I,
1: I will try for you, Pat. Anything. <laughs>
3: um, and and then the other thing that's being added to it that is probably a bigger deal for a lot of people is the ability to uh, transfer save files between consoles. That was something that the Switch didn't have when it launched, which was ridiculous. Um, So you can now transfer save files to a new console. But there's one caveat here. It deletes all of your uh, save files on the original console. So it goes to the new one, but everything's deleted off the original one. And you also can't copy uh, save game data to an SD card, which would just make too much sense. So in true Nintendo fashion, they've added two cool new features, but have found a way to to make it a little awkward, as they always do. And that's it.
0: Oh, my shout-out, you ask uh it is my shout out to chabra because that's it two h's two h's and, and it's not chabra it, no i think i emphasized all the wrong letters but um chabra i'm trying to roll my r's
2: the, the, um, the r isn't rolled but thank uh, you <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um well okay i've been corrected anyway it's his birthday so everybody uh please wish him a happy birthday in the comments and in general in life if you see him around um yeah because he's getting a year older and like a fine wine he's aging well
2: I'm, I'm aging actually more like a fine cheese but uh, thank you Rose <laughs> thank you very much. cheese
3: get better too? like some <laughs> cheeses
0: get yeah. better like
2: Yeah, get better that's, that's fair
0: that's yeah. fair you just complimented yourself so there.
2: yeah I was that was an accidental compliment
1: <laughs> nice try well happy birthday samir uh mine's more of a negative shout out i guess uh today i'm reading these moto x4 reviews that everyone's posted uh seems like a great phone why not bring it to canada (laughs) moto what is what are you doing with your life i don't know we're more
3: than america's hat yeah gotta let them know
1: we gotta let them know uh rose where can everyone find us
0: um, they can find, well, sorry, uh, one second. Oh, okay. It is his birthday, and so he should get a shout out. Oh, yeah. Over I, to thought
3: oh, out. I thought he uh,
1: did one.
2: Sorry. Mind fart. Continue. <laughs> uh, thank you, guys. My shout out is to Anthony Lacavera and Bruce Croxon. Thank you so much, you guys, for responding to all of my furious emails, sending to you guys, just, just begging you for a quote. You have been incredibly helpful. Thank you.
0: All righty. And okay. now they can find us at Mobile Syrup on a Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and many other social media platforms, some not even conceived of yet. Peach. Personally, Whoa. they can find me a, do, at Rose Bar.
3: Do we have a Peach account? Do you remember Peach? <laughs> or what was that other one? There's another one too. Hello. Or Path. Uh, path. That yes. was one that went for a while. Yeah, we have a Path account. We should bring back Path. We'll just like take it over. We'll have the biggest account on Path. <laughs> um. Yes. Okay, you can find me at at Patrick underscore O'Rourke
2: on Twitter because I don't go on anything else. Mm-hmm. Instagram too. I go on Instagram. That's, that's what Yes. Is. You can find me uh, at Samir Chabra 94 on Twitter. And that's two H's. And two E's, not an I.
1: Uh, you can find me at Igor Bonifacic where I'll be tweeting pictures of my vacation. Shot with, maybe with the pixel. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe. Um, better be. Better be, yeah. Yeah. Um, Please, if you have any questions or comments that you'd like to be read on the Syrupcast, you can send them to us at uh, podcast at Um Please send some while I'm away so that Rose and Patrick have something fun and interesting to read. Otherwise, I'll see you guys in, I guess, three weeks right. in the next podcast. Um, Till then, have an amazing time and I'll see you around. Bye. Bye.